Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. This is the host, Kyle Marcott, and today we have David Tupin on the show. David is a top millennial real estate investor, speaker, and entrepreneur. David is the co-founder of Obsidian Capital, an Austin, Texas-based real estate firm. David started investing at the age of 20 in Michigan, where he bought his first property in college, a 12-unit apartment complex. Prior to graduating with a finance degree, David had already acquired $7 million in real estate holdings. By age 24, David has built a real estate company as a key principal with over $50 million in real estate holdings and has raised north of $10 million in capital. He is also the creator of the best-selling multifamily deal analyzer, which is now being converted into a web-based software platform platform called Real Estate Lab. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So you have an amazing story just by reading your bio. I think everyone can grasp that. So bring us back to being that 20-year-old before the first 12-unit deal. What was kind of going through your head? What were your parents thinking? How, how were you looking at life at that point? Yeah. So I've always kind of been an entrepreneur. I think since you know I was 13, I started my first business as a landscaping company. And so always had the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, went to college, um, thought that, you know, I, I kind of always wanted to do real estate. I never I hadn't really studied a ton about it, but it's something I always wanted to do. I thought I first had to get a high paying job and then save money, invest, right? And that was gonna be my path. And then I kind of learned, you know, that's not really the case. There's a lot of people that jump right into real estate and uh, they become very successful. So um, path from there was like, okay, now I need to do single family. You know, here I am in early 2016, I was in bigger pockets, reading books, stuff like that. And, you know, um, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. After that, that was kind of like game over, dude. I'm, I'm all in on real estate. And so uh, I think it was my junior year, I, I took a semester off to do some internships. I did some investment banking, consulting, um, learned a lot, uh, but figured out really it wasn't for me. So um, where I was at, honestly, is I, I probably took some made some risky decisions that a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I turned down, I had a couple six-figure job offers coming out of college. I turned them all down on the spot. One of them I turned down literally on the last day, like when they offered me, I you know, respectfully declined it and told them what I was going to do. And they were like, dude, nobody's ever turned this job offer down on the spot before. So um, that's like first time for everything. So uh, basically just jumped right into real estate. I had gotten my license and, and, you know, another limiting belief, I thought I had to do single family first before I could do multifamily and commercial. And the bigger deal is what I really wanted to do, but I, I, I thought that I had to start smaller. And so four or five months of wholesaling uh, and, and doing some deals that way, I did maybe like somewhere between eight and 10 deals, um, did all right, nothing crazy, but uh, I just, I didn't like it. It was, to me, it's like, this is the same thing as a job. If I stop wholesaling, my income stops. I want to be wealthy. And so I knew that being wealthy, the only way to get there was long-term passive income. And so from there, I jumped straight. I cut all single family off and I said, the next deal I do, and this was in like November, 2016, the next deal I do is going to be an apartment complex. And so I started just laser focusing in, analyzing deals, you know, 10 to 50 units and, talking to brokers and, uh, you know, just kind of preparing myself to go in and, 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 and buy a property. And, and I got an offer accepted on, on one. I had zero money. I was, you know, end of my junior year in college, I was a broke college student just trying to pay my meal plan. And, 
got an offer accepted and said, oh shit, what do I do now? <laughs> so that's kind of the origin story, how, how I got into apartments was, let's do that way. That's amazing, man. I can't even believe it. It's it's a very similar story to mine, and we've gotten to know each other a little bit since we're both from Austin, and I can tell that you just have a supreme confidence about you. So what was kind of some of the mindset things that you were doing to yourself at this point? Because like you said, no one had ever turned that job down on sight on, like right in front of the guy. So there must be some serious self-belief. How have you developed that? What are some of the things that you do? Honestly, I mean, thinking back, I mean, I know I've always been a very confident person, maybe at times overly confident, but I think what it helps me with is, is, uh, um, you know, coming across the people that I really understand certain topic, right? Especially when I didn't know it at first. So I always, I always knew that if I walked into a situation with a ton of confidence, people are going to take me more seriously, right? And, and so I, I get that question a lot, because a lot of people start with like, okay, with being so young, do people take you seriously? And I think maybe my confidence just like overpowered that part of my brain. And I never thought about the being young part. It, it was always just like, if somebody else can do it, I don't care what age they are. It doesn't mean, I, you know, it means I can do it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it was, I think some of the biggest things were like listening to podcasts and, and learning how other people did it. Other people were able to get into it. And so if somebody else can do it. I can do it. It was my mind frame. And, and really at that point, I think what made me the most confident, about the actual process, the technical side of it was knowing the numbers. And for me, looking at apartments, uh, I don't know what it was. And maybe it was my, in, the investment banking experience I had, the finance side of my brain, analytical side. But because I felt really confident with the numbers, I felt really confident in going and, and putting a deal on a contract and making offers. It's super simple. The property makes X, expenses are Y, here's my not operating income, right? This is my debt. It's all easily calculated. And here's my return on investment. If you sell it in five years for X price, which you could project by using the NOI and a market cap rate, right? And, and you know, sorry if I'm going too fast for people that may not understand this, but these are all things that if you study, you learn about pretty quickly and, and you could really project out what it might look like holding over a couple of years. And so uh, after doing that and looking at a bunch of deals and just practicing I, I making an offer was easy for me. It's like, man, this is black and white. The numbers, if the numbers say it's good to go, we're good to go. And so obviously that's not always the case, but that's, I think 80% of the equation. So, uh, um, that, that gave me the confidence to pull the trigger. That's awesome. If anyone can do, if anyone's ever done it, then you can do it regardless of age. I think that's the key point there. That's a really amazing because age really doesn't matter if you're prepared and you have the knowledge and you have the same knowledge as someone else it doesn't matter if they're 70 and you're 20 or they're 40 and you're 30 it's the same actions equal the same results so you obviously are the master of that and that's awesome so let's talk about that first 12 unit deal where did you find it how did you find it what were some of the numbers what's the story on that deal so um maybe i'm even a little bit crazier because what i did actually i bought two 12 units at the same time i went on a contract on one one week and then the next the next week and i didn't even have funding for the first one so um probably not smart but it worked out in the end i i i maybe i could tell a story about it because it's really interesting there um two 12 units both on the same street i call the story good deal bad deal right and so i learned a lot from this um two 12 units same street about a block and a half away in a c-plus neighborhood um, I bought them both for pretty much exactly the same price, like 45, 46 a door, uh, uh, two different brokers and one deal, uh, the good deal 
I'll explain the Good Deal first. Good Deal was, they're both built in like 1970, something like that. Uh, the Good Deal had an owner who owned it for about 20 years. And he took really, really good care. He was the guy that was out there himself every day, picking up trash, talking that he knows all the tenants personally. The, the average length of the leases there was like, tenants were there for like six to 10 years on average. Like, so they were there for a long time. Didn't really raise rents, but he took great care of it. It had a pitched roof, which was in good shape. Common areas were clean. Uh, the boiler was in good shape, kept clean. That was the heating system. Um, and all, you know, the units were in pretty good condition and he kept them semi upgraded. Right. So that was a good deal. Um, bad deal was down the street, a couple blocks. Uh, first bad thing was a flat roof. It was not in very good shape, contrary to what the owner told me. And I did some research. I got somebody up there to look at it, but they didn't give me a very good opinion. So I didn't budget enough money up front to take care of the roof. Um, the boiler was not well taken care of. It was, it was spotty at best. And so that's what he did all the units uh, with a, you know, baseboard heating system with the boiler. Uh, the, the owner did not go to the property probably ever, maybe once every couple months to look at it, uh, but still local guy. He did not put money into the units when they turned, he band-aided everything. Everything was in bad shape. The tenants themselves were terrible. So, uh, you know, tenants, a lot of turnover, high turnover and a high bad debt. A lot of tenants that, you know, didn't pay rent. I think I had to do, I owned both of these for about a year and a half, sold them as a package actually uh, to someone. And, um, you know, I think uh, on the one property we had to do one, the good property, we did one eviction over the course of a year and a half. The other one I did like five, which is a lot for a 12 unit property. So um, what I learned was that deferred maintenance is huge, first of all. Numbers, numbers say one thing, a spreadsheet says one thing. Yes, that's very important. Pay attention to deferred maintenance because I did not raise enough money on the bad deal to take care of the deferred maintenance to renovate the units. The other property took care of itself. It cash flowed 10% and paid for practically all the unit turns itself and, and no problems. The other one barely cash flowed 8%. The only reason it did was when a unit had to turn, I was in there painting the units myself to save 500 bucks a unit. So um, that that's that's the difference. Uh, I, I, I earned my fee on the... Uh, on the good deal, on the bad deal, I took my acquisition fee, I put it back into the deal and I spent my own money to do renovations. So um, what was huge there was quality of the owner. Did they take care of the property? Did they have good tenants? Did they place good tenants? And did they uh, maintain it properly? And so bad deal, I got torn up and I still made investors money. I didn't, you know, they've still made a 15% IRR when I sold it, but um, the other deal did much better because uh, you know, it was in much better shape. So it's kind of a cool contrast, self-managing both of those deals. Yeah, that's amazing. So you must, I mean, you obviously learned some great lessons. So how have you taken those lessons and kind of taken this big leap from 212 units now to $50 million of real estate under management? Yeah. So it, honestly, it's just scaling from there. The next deal I did was about just under hundred units. I lived in that deal. I lived on site, self-managed that one too, did very well. Uh, when we sold it about a year and a half after I bought it um, and, and, and just kind of took that seed money I had earned on some of those deals and my experience. And I went and found a business partner that I knew would really help me scale to the next level. And so uh, his name's Glenn Gonzalez. I think you, have you met Glenn? Yeah, we met at you met Glenn for lunch. That's right. For lunch that one day. That was great. Um, 
And so uh, Glenn's a good eye, good guy. He owned he owned a big portfolio, you know, under just under five thousand apartments throughout Texas. Um, super experienced. He'd been in the industry since he started as a maintenance guy when he was in his twenties. So very humble man. Uh, he just wrote a book, Maintenance Man a Millionaire. So if you guys are listening, go check it out. But uh, um, I met him. We aligned very closely on our values and our morals and, and our goals and what we wanted to do. He had sold most of his portfolio off. Wanted to kind of restart, rebuild it. He saw me as a young guy, could bring a lot of hustle, you know, the ability to the table to raise capital and and just, you know, some general knowledge in apartments. And and he had, you know, a track record, a ton of knowledge and uh, and the ability to get loans, which is a huge thing for me, right? I, I couldn't go and do any of these deals on my own. I didn't have the balance sheet to qualify for loans. So I needed someone like a Glenn. And so I found him. We bought a deal in Houston, 160 units together, kind of separately, but together at first. It went so well, we decided to start Obsidian Capital together. So that was about two years ago, and uh, we've grown a ton since. So that's kind of that's kind of the gap there. That's awesome. Knowing that you needed to find a partner, finding that partner, that's that's really cool. And and obviously, like the reason that Glenn has decided to work with David in this situation is because David put the hustle in. He developed himself. He did all the work. He made sure that he was a valuable partner to be partnered with. And I think that's a step that a lot of people forget. They they want the partner, but they don't want to be a partner. You have to be a partner <laughs> first before you can yeah. go and get that partner. So let's dive yeah, into that, that underwriting. Yeah, getting that experience is huge. Yeah, getting that experience is huge. So let's dive into underwriting because it seems that that's one of your strengths. And I've, before the call, you said you're, some, you're buying some deals right now as well. So I'd like to hear kind of some of your assumptions for the growth that we're going to experience in this climate, how you're kind of forecasting um, the growth. Yeah, so we've got three deals going on. One's a new development that we're breaking ground on shortly, and then the other two are existing assets. So um, if for the existing assets, uh, low if none if, low if no rent growth in the first year or two. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. One of the assets is right near another property we own in Fort Worth. We're buying 170 units. I own 136 down the street. So we know the area very well. We're leasing units still even right now at our renovated rents, which is great. So there's still demand. I think it's just a good, it happened to be a good location, even with everything with Corona going on. Um, and so uh, I, I feel really confident about that just because we have other data and other metrics to support our underwriting. So um, that one is 65% occupied right now. It's badly mismanaged and we're buying it, uh, you know, off market uh, to the seller who's just mismanaged it for years and years. So that one's a little different, right? We've got to go in and renovate all those vacant units right away. We'll probably crank out 50 to 60 units in the first three, four months, renovate them, start leasing them up. Uh, and then, you know, our goal is to be 90% occupied, refile out the bridge loan within a 12 month period. So um, that's that one. The other one that we're buying right now is a stabilized, you know, B-class assets, um, another direct to owner, built them 40 years ago, took really good care, but the rents are like 400 bucks below market. So um, it doesn't need as much work, but they're in A areas. So we're going to do a kind of a higher end renovation. So what happened was we negotiated a deal prior to Corona. So recently we actually had to go back and retrade the deal. Um, you know, we're still in negotiations, but you know, a lot, a lot has changed since then. And uh, part of our reasoning, um, being with the changes, uh, one financing has changed significantly, you know, uh, having to bring additional reserves to the deals and lower loan to values, interest rates have kind of, although the fed rates are, are down, the spreads are up that the lenders are charging. So, um, 
that coupled with the fact that we don't truly believe that we could still accomplish the same business plan in the same period of time, uh, we're, we're uh, having to retrade. And then we're also, you know, saying less rent growth in the first couple of years. Maybe we won't hit all of our renovated rents in the first couple of years. We'll, we'll hit 50% of the way to those renovated rents and then, um, you know, higher bad debt and stuff like that. So uh, I still believe though, both of these deals on a long-term basis, a 10 year, we, we both got these deals at a great value, you know, fantastic prices pre-COVID, still really good prices now, especially with that kind of renegotiation. And so I, I feel over the long term, a five to 10 year period, they're good. It's just in the short term, we'll probably have some, a little bit less of a growth as we expected. That's cool. When do you see that rent growth kind of kicking back up and going from either a flat growth to sort of more of an uptick? Do you see that three years or more four or five? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even in the short term, some places are going to see a negative rent growth probably going to go down, but in, in, in good markets, you know, we should still see uh, uh, a flat rent growth and somewhere like Austin, I think there's still going to be increases, which is interesting. So Depends where you're at. When do I think that the rent growth will start ticking up? I think within a 12 to 24 month period. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but, uh, you know, 14.7% unemployment is definitely going to cause an effect on the economy, right? You're not going to see the same growth in the last three years, in the next three years as we did in the last three years. So uh, I think it's going to take some time. And once, especially once we get a vaccine for the virus, things should start to even back out. Consumer confidence will go back up, et cetera. And so, uh, I think it's driven a lot by, by that. Yeah, well said. So underwriting tends to be somewhat of an art and a science at the same time. So how are you, 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 how are you using real estate labs to kind of uh, help people out in that learning process with underwriting? Yeah, so real estate lab is going to be based on this uh, spreadsheet I've built over the last couple of years. Uh, a ton of people in the industry use it now. It's on my website. I've got a free and a, a paid version that you can get. Um, and, and I've always thought that software or, uh, Excel, although useful, uh, and easily modified and stuff like that is, is kind of still dated, a dated solution. Uh, and there's so many ways that software could improve upon it and, and, and really speed up the process. So, uh, I, I think, you know, out of the different pools of people in this industry from institutional private equity to, you know, firms like us that own, you know, 50 million to five, 600 million in assets down to people that buy smaller complexes to people that want to get into the industry. There's, there's definitely a majority of people that still use Excel. Uh, and then, and then there's a lot of people that want to get into the industry that don't because of that underwriting aspect. It's a, it's a definitely a blocker for a lot of people. They, you know, not everyone's a analytical nerd like I am. Right. You know, so not everyone likes playing in the spreadsheets. Um, so my solution is build a software that anyone can use quickly and efficiently to analyze deals, uh, and easily, uh, that can manage the whole acquisitions pipeline and process that you have, map out the deals you have, where you're, where they are, where they're looking at, and then fully analyze the deal within the software. So you'll be able to upload a T12 and a rent roll to the platform. It's going to read that, those documents, whether they're in PDF, Excel, CSV, uh, it's going to be able to pull the key data out, the operating expenses, the income metrics, bad debt vacancy metrics, and that kind of stuff, input it into the analyzer and the website for you. And then you'll be able to select, you know, um, presets. And then eventually we'll be able to have like market data saying, Hey, if you're analyzing a seventies 
150 unit deal in Dallas, you know, we've got thousands of other deals like that with data. We suggest you use this set of operating expenses. You click a button, it fills it out for you. Same thing with rent comps eventually, and same thing with financing, right? So uh, the goal is to help automate the process and get it to a point where you can fill out the whole thing within five minutes and then you kind of go and tweak it and, and review and look at the numbers and then create reports, share it, et cetera. That's brilliant, dude. That's brilliant. I can't wait to see that kind of be rolled out and perfected over the years. That's going to be a lot of fun and definitely a huge change in the industry. I mean, I don't like going through Excel sheets at all, to be honest. I need more people dude. like David in my life. That's why I bring David on podcast. <laughs> That's why I partner with yeah. Nick uh, because I need people who want to be in the spreadsheets like that. So that's a yeah. really awesome company, man. So if I can make it to work for someone like you, that's that's like my success criteria. It's got to work for somebody that doesn't like analyzing deals, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that would be huge. So my question I ask every guest is, what advice would you give a 20-year-old trying to start in real estate or business in general? Dude, hustle, man. I mean, there's no secret sauce. I, I mean, I just, I can't even explain how little I knew then compared to where I'm now and how little I know now compared to what I probably know in five years, right? You're always learning. You'll never ever get anywhere though. If you're stuck on just listening to podcasts, YouTube videos, books, and, and reading and educating yourself at some point, you have to take action and take a little bit of a risk. And so um, what level of risk you're comfortable with, that's up to you. But if you're not willing to take any risk, you'll never get anywhere. I promise that. And if you're not willing to put in the hard work, you're never going to get anywhere. So, uh, you know, I just know what I've been able to do in the last four years is a product of putting in 80 to 100 hours a week over a four-year timeline and being relentless. And if you're not at, if you're not willing to do that, that's okay. It depends on what level of success you're shooting for. However, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't put in the work. So if you're sitting there putting in five, 10 hours a week and wondering why nothing great is happening yet, it's because you're not going out there and taking it. You're waiting for it to come to you. Amazing advice, man. Great on the nose advice. And I think that that's something that people shy away from saying, but it's really the truth. So I appreciate your being honest and, and giving really, really sound advice. So where can people find you online if they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, hit me on Instagram, Real Estate Jedi, uh, Facebook. You just look me up, David Tupin, or our website is obsidiancapitalco.com. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You've added a bunch of value, and I hope to have you on the show again in the future sometime. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon.